morning, Christ community. I pray that your hearts were encouraged from that time of worship this morning. Happy Easter to all of you. As both pastors Daniel and Patrick have said, uh, he is risen. He is risen indeed. And so I pray that that truth would encourage your heart this morning. Uh, I, as, as many of you were as well, was so encouraged uh, by our Good Friday service and, and just what Pastor Daniel and the team were able to do. I pray that you were able to join us, or if not, at least go back and, and watch it. Um, but with the somberness and with the reflection of Good Friday comes the joy of today, that we get to celebrate that Christ did not stay dead, but that he rose again. And that's encouraging for all of us, because glory does come after suffering, and a crown does come after the cross. So before I read today's passage from John chapter 20, and Pastor Jeff expounds upon the hope of the resurrection that we have, allow me to remind us of some of the truths that we have already seen as we've been working our way through John. So if we think back to John chapter 12, even as we looked at it last week in this triumphal entry as Jesus is riding into Jerusalem on a donkey, and he's fulfilling prophecy from Isaiah, or from Isaiah and from Zechariah, even from the end of Genesis. And so he's fulfilling this prophecy, and he's coming in. And the people have all of these expectations that they are placing on him. They're crying out, Hosanna, and waving the palm branches and, and laying their cloaks out before him. They have expectations of what Jesus will do for them. But it's a different expectation that he's going to meet He's going to meet our greatest need in what he's going to do on the cross and what we're celebrating this weekend. So we see that from John chapter 12, and then from there it heads into the upper room. And we have this upper room discourse where Jesus is going to predict his betrayal, his arrest, even his coming crucifixion. He's even going to predict the denial by Peter. And then we look in John chapter 17 in this high priestly prayer that Jesus prays. And he prays for himself. He prays for his disciples, and even prays for his future disciples, for us. And two things from that prayer uh, stick out particularly. And the first is that he prays a prayer of presence. He prays that we would take hope knowing that one day we will be in his presence, that we will see our Lord Jesus face to face. And it's that truth that encourages us to keep living and keep expanding and keep uh, fighting for the good fight today. But also with that prayer of presence, he prays particularly that, uh, that we would be united, that while we are looking forward to being one day in his presence, that we would be united today. And so we remember that our unity comes first and foremost from the triune God that we serve, from the unity that is evident in the Godhead. And from that unity that we share with Christ now, then we can have a unity with one another. And then in chapter 18, we looked at the betrayal of Judas and the denial of Peter. And we recognize that how we in our sin are prone to betraying and denying our Lord. But praise God that Jesus never betrays us, and he never denies us, and that he went to the cross on our behalf as, a, as the ultimate expression of love for us. And then in the second half of chapter 18, we have uh, this farce of a trial, this, uh, this mock of a trial as, as Jesus appears before Annas, and Caiaphas, and even Pilate. And all legal proceedings are kind of thrown out the window as Jesus appears before these people. And then in chapter 19, we have uh, his, his, uh, his crucifixion. We have the brutality of it as he was mocked and flogged and hung up between two criminals. And as he gave up his spirit, John tells us, he cries out 
it is finished. He had taken fully the cup of God's wrath. He had secured our reconciliation with the Father. And then his side, at the end of John chapter 19, his side was pierced as an evidence for his death. And he was buried in a borrowed tomb. So all of that, all of those hard things to read through and and think through and meditate upon, all of that leads us to today, to Easter, to the best chapter in John, John chapter 20, on the greatest day of the Christian calendar, Resurrection Sunday. So would you follow along in your Bibles as I read from John chapter 20, starting in verse 1. On the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark. She saw that the stone had been removed from the tomb, so she went running to Simon Peter and to the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said to them, They've taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they've put him. At that, Peter and the other disciple went out heading for the tomb. The two were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and got to the tomb first. Stooping down, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then, following him, Simon Peter also came. He entered the tomb and saw the linen cloths lying there. The wrapping that had been on his head was not lying with the linen cloths, but was folded up in a separate place by itself. The other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, then also went in, saw, and believed. For they did not yet understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples returned to the place where they were saying, Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you for your faithfulness to us. I thank you that you sent your son, Jesus Christ, as the ultimate expression of your love to come and to die, but not to stay dead, but to rise again. And in so doing, defeating once and for all the powers of sin and death and and bringing about reconciliation where we can now cry out to you as Father. I thank you for that truth. I thank you for those who are watching even now. And I pray that your spirit will convict those who maybe have not placed their faith in your son, Jesus Christ, to recognize that his sacrifice is our only hope in this world. I pray now that you would prepare our hearts to to learn and to meditate on the resurrection as Pastor Jeff talks to us, as as he reminds us of the hope of the resurrection that we will one day experience. Would you encourage us from that? In your son's name we pray. Amen. We want to welcome you, Christ Community Church family, to this Easter celebration. I am bringing you the message this morning from my office, and I am up before dawn. I love this hour of morning because I just love the idea of watching the sun come up, um, thinking about this beautiful story of Easter morning. You know, all the Easter stories in the Gospels begin oddly with confusion. Mary believes someone stole Jesus' body. Peter sees the linen wrappings just lying there, and he can't put it all together. The disciples misunderstand prophetic texts which foretold the Messiah's death and resurrection. They can't even see that until Jesus appears to them to explain it all. The angels appear to Mary, and she is baffled as to what she has just taken place. She mistakes him for the landscaper of the tombs, She reaches out to cling on to him, and he tells her to stop because he must go back to the Father first. What's it all about? The whole event begins with the stunning realization that something amazing has transpired here. Something took place, and they're not 
quite sure what it is that they're witnessing. It takes Jesus the better part of the next 50 days between this event and the Feast of Pentecost to convince them that he has really risen bodily from the dead. Why is this such a surprise? Why is it so hard to believe? Jesus prophesied his death and resurrection numerous times throughout his ministry, and that is particularly true leading right up to the final week. So why is this such a shocker to them when it actually uh, takes place? Because this just doesn't happen. We accept the rising of the sun every day and, and give no thought to the magnificent and exquisite physical constants working all together to spin the earth on its axis. We don't think about it because it happens every single day without failure. But resurrections aren't normal, and they're not natural. And Jesus being raised from the dead is an act of God, but so is every other physical phenomenon in the world. The scripture says he holds all things together by the power of his word. So looking at the initial confusion of the story, what I want to do this morning is I want to bring clarity to the meaning of this event for the unbeliever and the believer. The first point of clarity that I see in the story is that the resurrection is our hope. The resurrection is our future hope. If you have your Bible, you can turn to 1 Corinthians 15, 17 through 22. Have you noticed that lately people have been living on every word of the experts? Ratings for the daily COVID-19 task force updates are at an all-time high. Like you, I have, I have tuned in most days or, I, or I've watched the briefings back on YouTube later uh, because I'm looking for a ray of hope. As Americans, we're frankly not used to being hopeless or being in hopeless situations. We don't wake up every day and, and worry about the deadliest disease in the history of the world, which, by the way, was smallpox. And it's because we cured it through vaccines. You and I aren't used to living with a sense of, of hopelessness. We're used to hearing good news. And even in the case of a troubling diagnosis, I, I, I speak from experience here. Even in the case of a troubling diagnosis, we're used to hearing, well, there might be a drug for that. Or there might be a medicine or a therapy or a surgery or something that can help you. What's worse than our current state of hopelessness in our culture is the sad fact that many people today are living with a hopeless and bankrupt philosophy of life, a worldview. In just 15 short years, we have seen the statistical rise of those who classify themselves as nuns. And by that, I don't mean women devoting themselves to, Catholic, to the Catholic Church and wearing a habit. That's not what I'm talking about. The nuns are the people who aren't anything. They're nothing. I mean, they don't, they don't affiliate with any particular religion or faith system or a house of worship, nothing, no belief system. Simultaneously, we've seen the rise in America of those who claim atheism. Atheism is the belief that God does not exist. And that worldview insists that there is no ultimate future for the world. No reward. There's no new creation coming. Only the cold indifference of a vast universe that is running out of energy. And we all, on that view, are running on borrowed time. What a hopeless outlook on life. But the resurrection is our hope 
because it tells us that God is going to take that which dies and raise it back to life. The world, the believer who dies in the Lord, his purpose and his plan for the world, God is going to raise it to never die again. And here's what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, 17 through 22. I want to read it to you. He said, and if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is worthless. You're still in your sins. And those then who have fallen asleep in Christ have also perished. If we have put our hope in Christ for this life only, we should be pitied more than anyone. But as it is, he says, Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep, for since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead also comes through one man. For just as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive. You see, the resurrection is the assurance that death is certain. Oh, death is certain, but it's not final. Death, death is inevitable, but it's not irreversible. Death is predictable, but not permanent. The second point of clarity I think we, we get from the resurrection story is that the resurrection is our power for today. The resurrection is our power for today. If you have your Bible, again, you can turn to Ephesians 1, 18. Now, this is a, a prayer that Paul prayed for the Ephesians, and I want to read it to you. Starting in verse 18, here's what he said. He said, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know what, what the hope of this calling is, what is the wealth of his glorious inheritance of the saints, that's resurrection, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the mighty working of his strength. Now that power he exercised, he says in verse 20, in Christ by raising him from the dead. You see, we, we have both the hope of eternity and the hope of resurrection power now. The resurrection of Jesus is not just some future day, but it's the power of God coursing through the life of the believer and the community of faith right now. How so? Well, I think it's particularly true uh, or at least it's it's evident in answered prayer. Now, sometimes God's answer to our prayers is no, or not yet, or not that way, not the way you thought. That's part of being a Christian. It's part of being a child of God. John 1.12 tells us that we have the privilege of being God's children. It doesn't say that we are God's peers. We're the children of God, not the peers of God. As children, we can be short-sighted, we can be craven, sinful, and unwise. But that's what it means to be a child. Our Father who art in heaven is holy and he is perfect and his wisdom is unsearchable and his knowledge is immeasurable. His care for us is unfathomable. It's unmatched. And sometimes his answer for us is no. And sometimes it's not yet. And you've heard me say this before, but sometimes it's not that way or not right now. As an illustration of this is, um, I would point to my recent situation. Now, just two months ago, actually probably a month ago, uh, I didn't see how it would be possible for me to give so much as an announcement in church, much less a full message, uh, albeit brief. I received innumerable letters from you, cards, text messages, Facebook messages, all of those things expressing your prayers for me. I've, I've had the elders come and gather around me in prayer in my office uh, before COVID-19 and just lay hands on me and pray for me. 
I've had the church come out and, and pray for me that God would heal me and be present with me as I wait and strengthen my resolve and faith. And now against all of the odds, I am here. God is sovereign. God is gracious in his care. And his answer was, yes, but on my timetable, not yours. You can't tell me that God doesn't answer prayer still. You can't tell me that God doesn't bring his power to bear in the Christian life because he does and he will. And God still raises the dead back to life. And he doesn't do it on our our timetable all the time. And does he do it all the time? No. Does he do it on demand? Nope. But he does answer prayer. And he will answer yours. He does his work in resurrection power in and through his people. And we should expect him to do mighty, mighty wonders and works in our midst and for our world. And that's what faith is. Faith is trusting in God's character to perform his great and precious promises. Even when all hope seems lost. And that's the story of resurrection morning. All hope was lost. And God did a miracle by raising a man from the dead never to die again. But there's more to that story. An important detail that we don't want to overlook or dismiss. It's not just the power to see answered prayer, but it's also the power to endure all things. You see, the resurrection, the truth about the resurrection is that it comes after calamity. Uh, When prayers aren't answered yes and things don't go our way or as they're planned, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead will give life to your mortal bodies and hope to your weary soul, power to endure all things, come what may. You see, the resurrection comes after calamity, not before it. The resurrection is the answer to the worst problem that you and I face and the greatest enemy that we face, and that's death. And the Christian life is full of trials and tribulation, disappointments, ups and downs, anxiety-inducing circumstances, and yes, even sometimes death. And Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 36, 42 through 46, I want to read that to you if I can. He says, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. Note that. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And as for what you sow... You are not sowing the body that will be, but only a seed, perhaps of wheat or or another grain. Then he says this, So it is with the resurrection of the dead, sown in corruption, raised in incorruption, sown in dishonor, raised in glory, sown in weakness, raised in power, sown a natural body, raised a spiritual body. If there's a natural body, he says, there's also a spiritual body. So it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam, Jesus, became a life-giving spirit. However, the spirit, uh, the spiritual is not first, he says, but the natural, then the spiritual. See what he's saying there? In my own life, I can tell you that the joy and the gladness of victory, the victory I experienced was preceded by an otherwise pretty despondent situation. I went through about uh, three months of pretty serious despair, often feeling total despondency. Uh, those are good words to describe what I felt. And, and I have gone through brief bouts of um, intense anger. It has left my, my mind, my mental state, just feeling, frankly, discombobulated, uh, upended. I feel like sometimes I'm, 
I'm, I'm in a mental fog, so I'm still fighting. I'm still praying. I'm still walking with Jesus and trusting the Lord in faith and, and praying God's resurrection power into my situation. But Paul tells us this, that the hope of a perfected spiritual body impervious to pain and disease or decay that doesn't come first. It's on its way, but that doesn't come first. You see the natural, the corrupted, the body that is daily wasting away while inwardly we are being renewed. That comes first. And then the resurrection glory. That's always the pattern. First point of application is that we take courage as we put our hope in the Lord. Psalm 31, 24 states, be strong and let your heart be courageous. All you who put your hope in the Lord. Putting your hope in the Lord in the midst of trials and living is, is what it means to live out the cross. I want to say that again. Putting your hope and your trust in the Lord in the midst of hardship, in the midst of suffering for our faith or suffering in our faith, that is what it means to live, to be the living embodiment of the message of the cross. You see, it's not just enough for us to believe and to affirm the creed, but the creed must become incarnational. We don't just believe in the doctrinal statement about the cross, man. We are carriers of the cross. Our lives are shaped and formed after the pattern of Jesus' suffering and his passion, which we so beautifully celebrated on Friday night. It is suffering before glory. It is death before new life. It is burial before resurrection. So we can't escape the order in which they come. The second is this. Second point of application for us is this. We put others, uh, we point others to the hope of Jesus and his resurrection. In Matthew's gospel, he gives us an editorial quote, and it's in chapter 12 uh, about Jesus. And the citation comes from Isaiah. And, and here's what it says. It says, here is my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him and he will proclaim justice to the nations. He will not argue or shout on Fox News or CNN, <laughs> you won't see him talking over other people on cable news. And no one will hear his voice in the streets or on Facebook or tweeting out obnoxious truth tweets. He will not break a bruised reed and he will not put out a smoldering wick until justice. he has led justice to victory. The nations will put their hope in his name. And this is, this is where it's all going. The nations are going to be led to put their hope in his name. You and I, we, the community of faith, we are leading the nations to put their hope in the name of Jesus and no other. So not only do we need to be carriers of his passion, I mean, we, we are carriers of his passion and his cross and the expectation of resurrected glory, but we need to lead the nations to see that justice has been swallowed up in the victory of the cross and we are to lead others to resurrection hope resurrection hope. Thirdly, third point of application. We remind ourselves of the hope we have in Jesus through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. This is critical. Paul said in Romans 5, 5, he says, this, this hope will not disappoint us because God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. We do not just believe the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. Yes, we do, but we also experience the Spirit as a present, transforming reality. Pouring out the love of God into our hearts. That's what the Holy Spirit does. And so the Holy Spirit, God's precious third person of that beautiful Trinity, He has been for me an absolute lifeline through Carrie's suffering and my own ordeal. 
And so you and I have this hope of resurrection glory in the future. We have the power of Jesus resurrected life in us and in our community. And when we pray, God answers prayer. God does amazing, miraculous things, and he hears the cry of his people. And we're reminded that resurrection power always comes after, or the resurrection always comes after calamity, despair, situations that seem hopeless. And so this morning, I, I want you to have a blessed Easter. I, with your family, with, with everybody who's in your house right there, I, I hope your Easter morning is blessed. And until we meet again, I'll turn you back over to Daniel now for one final Final song. I love you guys. I miss you. Hopefully we'll see you soon.